0: with this jack that goes that will only plug into this console and this will do this and this will do this and i was like i just want a regular pair of headphones so i have these Uh, huge these huge headphones but they work
1: they work i I was just dealing with a similar thing i just got a new ipad air which Mm -hmm. the connector has the usb-c connector not the lightning connector so all of my cords are light (laughs) lightning so trying to get a microphone to plug into it and to, it's like, I don't have anything that works with this. So crazy. Yeah. So I can't uh, charge it now. <laughs> it's... Yeah.
0: So, um, welcome to new world Brasscast. Uh, I'm Amy Shoemaker bliss. We have Tony Granados and we are joined by Patricio Cosentino. Um, I'm really excited to have you on, on the pad, the podcast. Um, I just told you um before we started recording how um how I found you and I I think I'll share with the listeners too. Um we have this North American brass band podcast um and I thought we've we've done um mostly um you know uh people from the USA and I was like okay so um we occasionally have some Canadians join in and then I thought we, we need to see if there's anything, you know, South of, of the border. We need to see if there's anything going on in Mexico, grass band wise. And so I, I did some searching online and I found a four bars rest article. Um, and, uh, it mentioned some work that you were doing in South America. And I read the article and I thought that is just absolutely fascinating. <laughs> so I thought, we, we have to have you on the show um so here you are so i'm so excited to have you now um patricio uh could you tell us a little bit about your your background it's really interesting uh and very international
2: (laughs) sure hi everyone thank you for having me i'm very glad to have the chance to be here at the podcast um well i'm actually i'm um, half been born in argentina and have uh, been living there for 22 years and working in different orchestras. And um, I studied in Germany um, with uh, Professor Walter Hilgers, who was a tuba player from different uh, main orchestras in Europe, including Vienna Philharmonics and one of the leading brass ensembles in, in Europe, which is Sherman Brass. And um, after that, I won one of my professional positions in Buenos Aires at the National Symphony Orchestra. I worked there for about seven years and then moved back to Europe where I am uh, teaching at the Bras Academy Alicante in Spain, South Spain. And uh, since 2015, I moved to Germany and I have been working for the last uh, six years between 2015 and 2000, uh, should I? 2021 with a plasma association here in Germany um, and that kind of um, was the beginning of my really big uh, interest in this plasma uh, world um, and that that was why I uh, because I'm coming from South America and I'm working regularly there I thought that this is a great way for people to come together and make music and also help the brass world down there to develop. So I, I start kind of trying to develop a movement there, which is at the beginning of, of the app everything. And it is going to take a long way, but I think um, we have a lot of talent uh, in South America. And I think it is going to be um, nice to see and follow how it's developing.
0: It's so interesting to hear all of your all of your your professional path up till now. Um, so like how I don't even know how to ask this question. <laughs> how does one how does one just develop? I mean, we we know about J. Perry Watson um in in the U.S. kind of pulling together the North American brass band movement in the '80s. Um, but how how does how is the the um, brass band scene down there developing, and how does one do that? How does one develop a, you know, is
1: there is there act- th- is there actually a a a NABA type association or organization?
2: Uh, not yet, and it is um, the whole movement is kind of a very 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 first beginning. We uh, what I am trying to do is to um, kind of um, set brass bands to start playing together and keep playing over the years and um, i have started with uh, a project in 2019 in peru uh, i was invited for the from the um, school of music tempo um, to do a band workshop because they, they have had uh, this uh, brass band uh, you know um, they have the, this uh, sorry the brass the band teachers are there and they saw they saw what I was doing here. And so they called me and say, listen, that would be interesting just to offer, you know, a workshop about this, this, uh, the work that you are doing. So I went there, we worked for, for a week and we make a, an official concert. And that was kind of the start, of course, with the pandemic now is um, kind of losing, you know, energy. But uh, the idea is in the second half of this year to fly back and do an, a second workshop so that we can put the people again together and hopefully the pandemic is going to slow down and the brasman is going to get forward that is a kind of kind of the the idea in Peru and um, then I was in Colombia too um, uh, Former student of mine is the tuba player of the Philharmonic, and he teaches at the National University. And a friend of us, who is his colleague at the university, is an euphonium player. He conduct the brass ensemble at the uh, National University, and he told me, "Listen, that will be interesting for the students to see how it works." So, again, I went there to, to Bogota, and uh, we start. We make a. We have had a, a week of workshops and um, start trying to develop and to show them. Of course, these are the first, at the very beginning, because um, they don't have the, the brass band instruments, they don't have cornets and uh, tenor horns, and they have euphoniums but they don't have paritons. Of course, there are trombones, which are the same in each world, and tubas, kind of a mix. They have B flat tubas, but German style in Colombia, and they have F to F us they don't have yet E flat to us there was a project before the pandemic start from the national university in in Bogota they wanted to um, acquire all the brass set the whole the whole set for the instrument so again the pandemic have done some damage but we are working on it and trying to you know um, keep the energy up and, and trying to develop the movement and um, yeah that is a kind of the work I am doing. That is why it is at the very beginning and to think on an association like the Nava in the amount of brass bands, what the United States have and in the competition is kind of, I will say early for now.
1: Are there any pre-existing British style brass
2: bands at all in Central
1: in South America?
2: From what I know, I have had uh, in my youth, kind of contact with a Salvation Army president in Buenos Aires because we have uh, there are if I am not wrong there are two one in Buenos Aires and one in Rosario which is kind of uh, 400 kilometer north from the state of Buenos Aires Um, and then I must be very uh, sincere I don't really have listened of any others presidents in uh, south America what I know it is there are a kind of brass ensembles in a very very large brass ensembles in, in south of Brazil in Curitiba was one and also in Sao Leopoldo in south of Brazil um, they play they play brassman music but they don't have you know the instruments they have the the, the, the same formation but they don't have the instruments. it's kind of a more a, Economical problem, South America. It is really expensive to get the instruments there and stuff. But they are trying really to do something.
0: I think that that's an economical issue everywhere. You know, I'm starting up a youth brass band and and trying to find brass band instruments in in a limited budget. <laughs> it's like it's awful. We have we have a open section in in NABA where you can go with. Maybe Tony, you can clarify, but we you can go with like French horns, and you can go with different instrumentation and stuff um, to yeah. just make it possible for some of these bands. To yeah,
1: people- we yeah we do have we have two open sections. We have a youth open section, and we have a regu- an adult band open section where you can basically put any combination. You can have larger numbers, so it's a a very introductory. You know, we you know you can come and you can play anything just to be involved in the movement. If it you know we also have. Um, a 10-piece section in our ensemble competition as well. So if you don't have a full complement of 30 players, you can get, put 10 together and and just go to the competition as a way to get excited and get get into it.
2: That's a, that's a, actually a, a two very great ideas um, that if you don't mind, I will take them to try to use in South America, but I think that is, uh, that is great to start, uh, or, or to give the the players the possibility to play with the instruments what they have, and try to keep you know the motivation up.
1: Yeah, and another another thing that's kind of interesting is that when the the NABA bylaws were were devised in the eighties, it specifically defined North America as United States and Canada. Um, oh. and Yeah. So you know, and and. I seem to remember when I was a student in in the '70s and '80s that we understood North America to be United States and Canada. And
0: interesting, because I was I was taught that it was uh, North America was Canada, United States, Mexico, and some islands.
1: Yeah. And so wow.
0: then, you know, when we go that- when we go to Nava, it's all like people from where I've lived have been like, "Are we ever gonna get a Mexican band?"
1: Well, so, I mean, we that's we need
0: to define what North America is. Possible. Well,
1: that's I mean, that's one of the discussions we're we're going to be doing. We're rewriting our bylaws and or updating them and and standard operating procedures and kind of cleaning them up for the way that we mo- we operate in the modern times. You know, the, the the lines of communication are very different now than they were in the '80s. So, <laughs> you know, so there's some bylaw things we got to clean up in that. And one of the things we're going to we're going to look into. Uh, is to straighten that up and and open up North America to all of North America, um, and we'll probably even have a discussion as to why it needs to to end there. You know, we can call ourselves North American Brass Band Association, but does that mean a South American band can't come to our championships if they, you know, want to shovel out way too much money to do it?
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. I mean, that is that's that would be great first to have just the opportunity to go there. Uh, but also I got the opportunity to perform f- with the Fontaine City of band in 2019 and um, talking with them, uh, they told me that they was kind of uh, trying to get the opportunity to get to the Europeans but they kind of don't get a go from the European Association, which is sad. I mean, I, it doesn't. It just exists in Kerkrade exists this uh, World yeah. Championship yeah. yeah. But I, I I think I was on the Europeans in 2019 competing with a youth band, and I, I think it will help the whole movement worldwide if you can try to let I will say North American top championships plus bands competing to the Europeans because it's kind of you know it is more exchange, more possibilities to listen other bands and stuff. So um I was sad about the news, but hopefully in the future it's going to change, you know? But that is why I think that your idea to to get the chance, at least Mexico, or if you say hold South America to compete, uh, I will be happy to to let the, the, the Brasmans know that uh, this possibility exists and, you know, maybe in the future we'll be able to to have one in the competitions at the Nava.
1: Yeah, we're hoping to have this taken care of this summer. So, you know, maybe, maybe there's some news on that
0: just to have like even like setting up something like a scholarship um with NABA, so that some some members of these brass bands can travel up and and watch NABA and and participate in the solo competition and just see because i know that with um with new brass bands they they kind of start up and they're like, "Well, this is fun," and then they and then they see a competition. And competitions mean community and bringing people together and and pushing everything to a higher level. And once they go to a competition, they see what's possible, and then it just like lights this fire, right?
1: Yeah, and, and so- the NAVA competition is definitely like that. It's a very it's a very, you know you know, collaborative, like everybody loves to go and watch the other bands just as much as to perform, which is a little bit different than some of the other competitions in Europe where, you know, they play and then they, you know, that's all the, it's all they do. But they have, you know, four or five, six competitions a year. We have one. <laughs> so, you know, so it's a, it's a big weekend and there's a lot of camaraderie and there's a lot of, you know, cheering on the other bands and, and just really looking to see how good everybody is and enjoy how you know, the highest level of musician music making they can make in the brass bands in, in, in America and in Canada. So that would be cool. I think that's a great idea. See if we can even get 10 pieces to come up and start off small that way. If that's, you know, if that's what needs to happen to get people interested and then they can go back and say, wow, this was awesome. I know I know that that's how I built the youth band program here in, in the Triangle is by taking them to NABA and they go and they hear about bands and they get really excited and then they recruit for them and, and make the band even bigger so i think that's a great idea
2: yeah i if i recall what what amy already said about uh going to the competitions and you know get the extreme motivation to keep moving and going forward and growth uh, if i if i talk of my my own experience i was kind of a symphonic Player, I have listened from Brassband in my my way, but I wasn't exposed to brassman, the Brassband movement, since I came to Germany, and uh, I, I became a big fan of of the of the whole, you know, brass band movement, and that is why I'm trying to to kind of work on, on South America. But I think what helped me have helped me a lot on, on motivation was to be, for example, at the nationals in here in Germany, listen to all the brass bands and also listen to the gala concert where, for example, Brickhouse play. And it was kind of the first top brass band I have listened in my life. life. I have CDs and stuff, but it's not the same. I have all, uh, after the 2019 uh, Europeans, I developed the theory that it is impossible to record a brass band the same that you can listen it live because the amount of sound, it is it is not possible to record a blast one and, <laughs> and have the same experience that you have when you listen one live. So uh, for me was a, a breakthrough. Uh, listen to Brickhouse in two thousand sixteen at the nationals here in Germany, and that kind of opened a, a lot of ideas and and, and um, even in, in a professional um, even in a professional level for for example for my students the recommendation to say listen try to find a brass band where you can play regularly because you are going to develop sound skills uh, intonation uh, you know uh, technique which is if you just study orchestral excerpts you will have just the technique to play that but if you play in a brass band you are going to have the technique to play everything and that is a kind of the the thing that opened my mind in 2016 eh?
0: I totally agree. I remember, um, I remember when I was a kid growing up in Ohio, um, I would, there was my, my dad's a doctor and he had a patient who knew that I played euphonium and would bring, uh, recordings of the Salvation Army and, and Besses of the barn and and stuff. And, and every time he came for an appointment, he would, he would drop off recordings. Um, and I remember I grew up with these recordings. Um, and then I went over to the UK to study. Um, and for the first few months, the first, I don't know, month or two, I wasn't in a brass band. I'm just trying to get my, my footing in another country. (laughs) I need to just figure out how things work. Um, and then, um, and then I remember my friend said Black Dyke needed a sub and I was like, this is my chance. (laughs) So. I made sure that I was exactly where I needed to be to be the person asked uh, to sub in that rehearsal, and I showed up. and I remember they were gonna play the hymn, and before they even played, when they took the the breath into play, like all of my all of my brain cells just like fired, and, like whoa! <laughs> I felt like the air was being sucked out of the room before they even played. Um, and then the first sound, it was just like, I'm going to be doing this (laughs) from here on out. Uh, it was, you know, to, to record a brass band just doesn't, doesn't do it justice. And you find, I find I'm turning it down. I'm turning it up because, you know, it's, it's so quiet. It's so loud that my speakers can't cope, you know,
2: (laughs) Exactly. I mean the Europeans in two thousand eighteen in Montreux, I I was kind of listening to the Championship Division and I couldn't believe how loud they have play. Because, you know, it's a championship. They need to show the extremes. But when they open and loud, that was kind of imp- that is impossible to take from a from a microphone. It is whatever at the expensive is the microphone. It's not possible. But yeah. The feeling sitting in one of these top brass bands is great, and I think again, uh, as uh, Tony said, the motivation you win getting to the competition and listen. It is very important also for the movement itself.
0: I think that that this that this cross pollination, be- you know, between different areas of the movement is so great. I remember. I remember um, my regular brass band when I was over there was Best of the Barn. Um, and I remember I would ask them certain things, and they hadn't been exposed to some of the things that I had been exposed to. And at one point, I remember nobody in the brass band seemed to know anything about Gabrielli. And I was like, really? So. Um, they were they were nice enough that I was allowed to kind of take over sometimes. I could conduct some things, I could choose some music and stuff. They have a fantastic music library and <laughs> being one of probably the oldest brass band. Um, but I pulled in some Gabrielli stuff and I'm like we are pausing brass band rehearsal because you need to be exposed <laughs> to to, to Gabrielli music, and they had no clue what they were doing.
1: Did you play them recordings, or did you actually arrange some music for them?
0: I brought some music for them, and we rearranged the band room into choirs, yeah. and they, and they played Gabrielli because, you know, it it was it was that kind of cross pollination. Like like they hadn't heard of of them and of Gabrielli, and they hadn't heard of that kind of style of of you know Renaissance playing. And, and so I was like, okay, well, let's, let's turn this into, <laughs> into music education time. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and now they, now they knew that style. And every time we, we learned about all these different styles, I think that it's a benefit.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting how, how the Gabrielli stuff over here tends to be more in the orchestral realm. Yeah. You know, I think it probably, became really big when the Cleveland the brass players from Cleveland, Chicago and Philadelphia made that recording which is legendary how they just put went together went in the studio and recorded it no no rehearsals they didn't even tune they just they just you know just cranked it out and it's one of the greatest brass recordings you'll ever hear (laughs) it's pretty incredible and it's in you know and I I've actually played in um some Gabrielli arrangements in brass band um, but that's only because it was here and we know what the Gabrielli stuff is. It's interesting that they have no basis of it over there. That's fascinating. But it was
0: it was that group had no um and so it wasn't it wasn't related to brass band, but it was just kind of like this is a style of brass playing and we should we should be exposed to it, you know. I had a um I had a question. I teach a lot online and I, I had a question um that somebody wanted to learn how to play mariachi style trumpet and no one has picked them up on on that. Cause nobody, I don't know how to teach it, but there are all these different <laughs> styles. The more, you know, the more we're exposed to it because as, as professionals going out there the more styles that we understand, the more we can do.
2: Um, speaking of- that's that, true. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, that's true. And and also um, as Tony say, I, I, I grew up playing kind of brass, no no brass band, so brass band, brass ensemble and Gabriele was there too. And I, I think at least in Argentina and in, in here in Germany, it's also kind of the repertoire what orchestral brass player will choose to play. Um, but that's also kind of talk about the richness of the repertoire of the brass band movement because they have their own thing going on. You know, it's like every year... A lot of pieces, new pieces, will compose for different competitions or not for just for concerts and whatever, which is great. And I, I, I found kind of a bridge between two worlds, between the orchestra, brass ensemble world, and the and the brass movement in England, and that was the Philip Jones Brass Ensemble, because many of the pieces what they have played over the years, which also have been playing around the world for uh, brass players, orchestra brass players, have been playing for brassman. I mean, the three brass cuts, for example, to give one example, there are for brassman also, Mr. Shams and Black Sam, you know, and Borage. Um, And there are a lot of repertoire What Philip brass was playing, which was probably in, in in a part, written first for brassman originally, and they make an arrangement for Brass ensemble, which is kind of a bridge in between the worlds.
0: And you've been involved in um, in bringing a whole lot of new music into the world, haven't
2: you? I have been. I have been working since two thousand six with different Latin American composers to um, you know develop repertoire from that part of the world for brass instruments. Because when I was studying here in Germany, um, I wanted to play more South American or Latin American music. And I start looking for it and I couldn't find nothing. None, zero species. And what's what's told me, oh, we need to do something here. So one day I sit down and uh, just start with my country, with Argentina, and I put Argentinian composers in Google and jump a few web pages with emails, you know, and I sit down and wrote about 300 emails for yeah. two different composers in Argentina. <laughs> so but I, I I got kind of uh you know five six answers for three hundred. And, um, and and so so start. I, I, I start working with them, you know, showing them what a tuba kind of can do because the instrument was for them very unknown and was a very interesting process to try to explain to them that it's an instrument that can do everything, like a flute or a violin or whatever instrument you are composing, and at the beginning, the they, most of them was afraid to be free to write things, you know, because they was afraid it is going to be possible to play that. It was one composer who came. I met with him in Buenos Aires for the first time in 2006. And he came with the first, the second movement of a suite he was written. Um, and the movement into today stayed the same as he wrote at the first day. So he he have had not any, uh, was not afraid to write, you know, free for the two. His number is, his name is uh, Jorge Taglapietra and I'm still in contact with him and working together. Um, but since then, I have been, you know, working with a lot of composers and I got the chance uh, f- with one of the brass when I was conducting here in Germany, I got the chance to um, the, make the premiere of a, a piece for brass band from an Argentinian composer. I commissioned that with him. His name is uh, Ignacio Freijo. And we, uh, I conduct a concert. Uh, the title of the concert was Sudamerica Vibra that it was all South American music and we uh, make it in 2018 um, and we premiere the piece from Ignacio named Alpamanta, and um, the piece Ignacio is a, an Argentinian composer who have a really uh, close contact with our um, folk music the piece had a lot of elements of the Argentinian folk music and I will say if you ask me I would say it is probably from the level of the piece is a piece for a first division band. That's kind of the level of the piece. And a I, I was...
0: Band
2: piece. That's a brass piece, original yeah. brass band piece. Uh, yeah. And I, I was trying to uh, kind of, you know, perform the piece more because we played in 2018 and it's then, still there and I couldn't getting to other bands or other conductors by working on it and hopefully it's going to be played more in the future.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully with this podcast, um, I'm not going to pretend like we have millions of people listening, but um, but hopefully um, we'll get we'll get some word out there about some of these pieces and and. um, hopefully we'll get some more people playing these pieces and more recognition of these composers get their voices out there get them heard a little bit more you know um, that's that would that's be very hard. nice and i
2: think that that will be also motivate more composers from latin america to work more on on brass repertoire which is i think i think it's a kind of a big enrichment for the repertoire itself for the Brasma movement worldwide. you know, if, if you if we have composers from all over the world working together and composing for the Brasma movement, it's great. I, I, at least I think so., <laughs> yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah there's I have uh, I have a friend um, who who um, has been doing a kind of a lecture tour talking about Mexican music and and getting mm-hmm. getting rid of our stereotypical Mexican music. Um, Getting rid of the Mexican hat dance and (laughs) and evolving (laughs) into more authentic, uh, more authentic Mexican music Um, and so if we can get some more uh, Mexican and South American um, composers into the brass band realm that would be that would be super cool. I'm just, my brain is firing on all cylinders with this, uh, with this. Podcast. No,
2: sure, sure. And, and we keep, we keep in touch. We should keep in touch after the podcast and I will try to make, you know, the bridges with the different composers and, and, and try to, uh, reach more presence. And if I, I, my feeling is like the, the United States is always in many kinds of way, very open mind, uh, than the old continent, like Europe, you know, and, uh, that helps a lot for, for new, things and that i think that if, if we can kind of keep the connection and, and try to work together it's going to help everyone you know
1: yeah it's, it's funny because you know the the united states used to be considered the new world and in terms of brass banding central and south america is the new world from brass banding now it's it's the untapped market and it's interesting that they actually do have you said they do have so- a, a couple of salvation army bands there which is i think one of the big reasons that brass banding spread in the united states is through salvation army brass bands but down but down in south america that doesn't seem to have really pick, picked up as much and it, it's
2: interesting that that's right no, yes. that's right. I I, I I know, as I say, I know this true in, in Buenos Aires, San Rosario, in Argentina, but uh, I haven't listened of other uh, Salvation Army bands in the rest of Latin America, which doesn't mean that doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, the Salvation Army kind of do a very big social work and music is kind of a little part of what they do that is... They don't make a lot of publicity of that. That probably there are more, but we don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, that's uh, it's still it's still pretty fascinating. It's also interesting that with all the work you've done with the composer done that kind of makes you the Harvey Phillips of
2: Argentina. <laughs> that, that's our big words. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I I I I think. I think at the end of the day, it is important not only um, to be to to move around like I do for work, but just I I kind of when I move around, I kind of bring try to bring my own thing where I'm going. If I conduct a brass band, I as a guest conductor, I I bring a South American program because I know the music more and I think this. Rhythmical elements and these harmonies can enrich the band where I am working with and if it is, you know, a new piece the same so I, I like, of course, uh, old standard repertoire for brass band from Pablo at Cooper to Peter Graham to, I don't know, uh, Frederick Schiele there's it is a lot of great composers there, um, but I think this exchange of cultures is what it makes uh, the exchange very interesting for me at least because i learn from them and they can learn from the music and probably a little from me you know it's kind of this big exchange and i love that from my shop
0: <laughs> so where That's can awesome. we so these pieces that you've that you've commissioned and work with these composers how can we get a hold of them
2: uh, there are uh, published the companies uh, the name of the companies uh, ediciones Pampa. i can write it down for you website is, website should be uh working right now uh if you have any problems let me know but uh, uh yeah there you you will find a few a few of them i mean there are just alpamante is just the, this fragment piece i, I Commission from him because I was working with Prasmans more close in in Germany and I now I'm you know freelancing and if you don't have a a where you can every week you know do things and concerts regularly is kind of difficult to commission new pieces. But my goal is in the future kind of commission more pieces if I get. The, the opportunity to work regularly with a uh, with a uh, brass band and 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 keep developing the repertoire from Latin American composers so that is the goal in Ediciones Pampa you will find another pieces from uh, for trumpet into tuba euphonium horn trombone a lot of brass instruments but as I say Alpamante is the, today the only one we have in the catalog for for brass band
0: President of North American brass band associations right there. So if you guys want to like
1: combine and work on something, you know, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there, you know, I'm just, no, sure. There's so so many ideas and so many things that, that would be great for Nava to do that, um, you know, we just don't have the manpower capacity to do as a volunteer organization, but starting our own publishing company would be fantastic. So we could you know, have access for for people to see it in the, that are in the brass band realm and to have pieces that are, you know, not from Peter Graham or Philip Sparks website or, you know, but something that was a resource where we could, you know, get non-traditional brass band choices. Um, we'll have to run that one up the flagpole and see if we can actually, because publishing is so easy nowadays, um, you know, so, you know, we... And that's something we have to lose. Oh, there's so many things that we could be doing. I wish I wish we had more more resources to do it. Um, you know, so hopefully hopefully we'll be working towards that. We're pretty energized right now, so that's awesome.
2: That's good. If you have now the motivation, you should go for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome. Wow, that's Go ahead, go ahead,
0: Amy. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna. I was gonna say, I um, after after we're done recording today, um, I I want my next project. I always I'm always thinking like ten projects ahead, and I never have time to get through. <laughs> so I have I have projects planned uh, that would probably take the next like several years uh, planned out already in my head. But the next project, um, the one that I can actually get done sometime soon, is I have the preliminary. Um, the preliminary translation of my book my kid's book Amy's Brass Band and so um so I'm gonna see if if you can check it out (laughs) and check over the translation and see if you agree with it and uh and then what I think would be cool is getting somehow setting up a system so that we can during during the pre-order phase of that we can get some of the some of the People can order it and send it to um, some people that you're working with in Peru, Colombia, Mexico that you were talking about. That would be that would be really that would be super cool. But you know, um, we can do that later. Um, You know what you should
1: do, Amy? That sounds great. You know what? You you know your next project, twenty projects down the line, is you should actually start a real life Amy's Brass Band.
0: Start a real life Amy's Brass Band in what in what way?
1: It's like actually put people with instruments in their hands and call it Amy's Brass Band and play a concert as Amy's Brass Band.
0: Well, I'm am starting a youth brass band. I can just call it Amy's. Amy's brass, brass Band. band. <laughs> right. We could do. Well, there we could, go. Do, we could do a we could do like a book reading and have the kids like play section by section, you know, and and it would be Amy's Brass Band. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's Brass Band Live. Uh, exactly. That that'd that'd actually awesome. would actually be kind of fun. Having
1: someone that like a really, reading. That's the, a really cool concept. Yeah. Reading the
0: book. I... And then, because it introduces the different sections of the brass band. So then have like a horn feature. You know, they play a little do- little thing. And, you know.
2: So, I, and, and I, I understood you're right. You are, you are translating your book into Spanish. Mm-hmm. It does, right? Oh, that's great.
0: Yeah, um, and and part of it is um, we've been we've been introducing Spanish to our kids since they were born um, because I think I think the future is is increasingly bilingual and um, so my brother in law <clears throat> my brother in law is certified in medical Spanish, which means that he's he went to medical school in the U.S. and in Costa Rica. Um, so he, he knows all of the Spanish terms, the medical terms, and, and can just talk (laughs) fluently (laughs) in Spanish. Um, and, and, you know, along the way, it's just, it's launched his, his career because, because knowing another language is so marketable and so useful. Um, so I think, uh, we, we kind of talked about how we thought that if they were going to learn one other language, it was either going to be Spanish or Chinese. And Spanish is a heck of a lot less intimidating since both of us can kind of speak a little bit of it already. <laughs> Chinese is a little scary yeah, to someone right. who hasn't really been exposed to it. <laughs> um, but, you know, my husband minored in, in Spanish. My husband minored in in and majored in just about everything. <laughs> so, um, so we've been introducing Spanish to them and, and the book came about because of my son, because when he was born, everyone got us all these musical gifts and they were all, there was not euphonium in any of them. Um, and it was all any of the musical books or something or games. They were all orchestral, everything. And, and the, the instruments were drawn inaccurately and I was like, none of these are actually going to introduce my kid to, to what I do, like at all. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the, the labels on the instruments were frequently wrong. And they had like <laughs> tubes going who knows where on these things. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a book. And I just got frustrated. And uh, I, I started doing some sketches um, in the car while my son was a- asleep. Um, and uh, Amy's Brass Band was, was born. So um, my son is learning Spanish, and the book will be translated into Spanish. And uh, we'll get it out there pretty soon, actually.
2: That's yeah. great. That's pretty so, cool. Please let me know.
0: Yeah. Um, so what's coming up in, in your schedule? What's, what's happening? What are you up to lately?
2: <laughs> well, the funny thing is I'm traveling tomorrow to North Germany to give a Brassman workshop this weekend.
1: Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. um,
2: last year I was invited to uh, the same community to make a regular Brass workshop, no plasma workshop, and we do it and they like it. And they say, listen, let's do it next year again. And I, I, I talk to them and say, listen, do you want to do exactly the same? Or do you want to try something new? So, and they say, you know, people don't know what it means, you know, playing in plasments and the whole work you need to put there to prepare repertoire and, you know, so they say yes. And um, we, st- we are starting tomorrow uh, and we are playing a concert on Sunday. So my next immediate project is a brass workshop starting tomorrow in North Germany, the city of the, of, of, of what is happening is Röbel. It's near a very nice lake, the Muritz, so we, our rehearsal room, when you open the doors, is directly, you, you jump directly into the lake, which is a very, very nice location. So the brass the brass players are very motivated and they have been preparing the, the repertoire uh, for several weeks now. So we are very looking forward to, to get together tomorrow and, and, and play, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really
1: cool. So, um, go ahead. I, I was going to say, we usually do a, um, a question as we, as we wrap up a question of the podcast. And I just was thinking, so Aaron usually comes up with those, but I, but I kind of came up with one on the fly, cause I thought it would be fairly interesting.
0: They always um, make me a little bit nervous because they're, they're frequently a little bit silly. <laughs> this,
1: one, this one, this one's not that silly. It's actually, you know, a, a good opportunity to ask because, um, brass band world doesn't really know about the. A lot of people don't know about the German brass. And you studied with the tuba player from the German brass. (laughs) Um, And the German brass, in my opinion, is probably one of the greatest brass ensembles ever put together. We we grew up over here with the summit brass ensemble, which Mm -hmm. is similar to the German brass. um, But the German brass is just they're unbelievable. Their recordings are spectacular. So my question would be, what's your favorite German brass album?
2: Oh, that's tough, but I will say around the world uh, one, the first what they play, because they have a I mean, the arrangement of that CD is there are unbelievable. There is a enormous tuba solo from my teacher, which is in Dall'Italia con Amore, which he play like a E flat in the in the treble clef, very, very high (laughs) and uh, also you can listen a lot of um, power coming from the low brass in the different arrangements and also it is a one of my favorite pieces from German brass which is this um Argentinian piece i need to remember the name wait um how is the name but they play really folks they, they play really folks music from Argentina because of course uh, having Enrique Crespo who was from Uruguay originally putting the ensemble together in Germany um that was a, a kind of a huge influence on the on the ensemble. Um, Pal Carnaval is the name of the piece. Pal Carnaval is one of one of the tracks. So I will say Around the World One is was what this is one of my favorite CDs from them.
1: Yeah, Amy, do you have a favorite one? Or does no, somebody have to have do some research? That I need to do <laughs> <laughs> <Somebody has laughs> research. My, mine is probably Bach 300. Oh. Hmm. This, just a, That's the a kind of fugue in D minor that they do in there is just spectacular. But the whole thing is, you know, like the, the finesse of, of playing, especially from, from Hilgers, is just spectacular. What a beast of a player they, that guy is.
2: They can play Bach very well. Yes. Very well. About as that's well true. as you'll
1: ever hear a brass ensemble play Bach, that's for sure. Well, and it's
2: funny because the, the Bach 300 was the CD which changed the completely the ensemble, because the ensemble actually started in uh, 1974, rehearsing as a brass quintet, and they play as a brass quintet for ten years and record a CD, das deutsche Blechbläserquintett. And when Enrique wanted to record Bach, he said, "I need more players. With five players, is, is I I need more." So they invite five players from from outside. To make just the recording of Bach 300 and that's after funny. the recording they stay forever 10 players
1: yeah oh that's that's a great story that's awesome
2: yeah
0: I have, I have some listening to do but I do I do have a funny story I was in grad school I was at I was at Rutgers um and we were going through we were playing something by Bach in the wind ensemble and the, the conductor was just like, stop, stop. None of you are playing Bach right. And he was like, and he started going down the line, down the line, down the line, down the line, and then, and then, um, and then they, they, he stopped at me. And my last name was, was still Shoemaker. If that gives you a little, <laughs> clue. And, and I played it and he's like, you, you played it well. And I think. Like, like German Lutheran heritage, <laughs> like I grew up. <laughs> <in Dubai. laughs> That's good. That's no. If you
2: listen, if you, you know. listen, yeah. But if, if you listen to them, I <laughs> think you are going to enjoy it because yeah. I I grew up listening to that ensemble. So there are a great recordings, and for sure there are great arrangements that uh, help have helped Sherman Brass a lot to develop. So it is interesting to you can kind of know. Um, i I always think for me on three very big brass ensembles on the period of the history of of the world and the one is Canadian brass, of course, but it was one of the pioneers, then Philip Jones brass ensemble, Sherman yeah. brass, and I will say now not silver brass because it's kind of you know now the the ensemble who is making a lot of noise worldwide,
1: yeah, for sure. You know the Summit Brass is still in existence. They they meet at the the um, Rafael Mendez Institute in Colorado each summer. The,
2: they they still playing. That is very really interesting. Yeah, I don't just knew like
1: that. A week of uh, one week a year, one concert a year. It I believe oh. it's at at uh, Rafael Mendez. So, you know, so unfortunately they don't play more. I remember um, hearing the Summit Brass at the uh, Great American Brass Band Festival in the mid '90s sometime. And maybe late 90s and it was one of the best press ensemble concerts I've heard Sam Palafian was playing with them um, you know they did West Side Story I mean they had so many good players it was I can't remember if it was Sam and Parentoni which it might have been or it was Sam and Picorni. but I think it was Parentoni and, and Sam Palafian was the tuba section for that and they just
2: they Not just bad at all.
1: No, <laughs> <I> <laughs> it was so good it was so good
2: no, I believe that. Um, well, I just want to say thank you for having me on the postcard. It was uh, great to share with fellows uh, brass band lovers uh, across the 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 world. A little bit of our passion. It is uh, always very nice to see that you know people share this this kind of passion. I will just say. That I will wish for the future of the world that brass bands, uh, kind of, win more professional play, win a more pro- professional place, so that brass players can live from playing in brass bands and not still fighting for a few uh, tuba spots in the euphonium or- spots in wind wind bands and orchestras. That will be great. Imagine yeah. that
0: yeah <laughs> thank you so much for coming on this this has been great talking with you today
1: yeah it's a pleasure to meet you
2: thank you very much it was a pleasure to meet you too and uh, hopefully we will see each other in person sometimes that will be nicer than zoom as always